you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member, you'll know a thing or two about an expertly packed capsule wardrobe that balances business and leisure. So you can go from conference sleek to cocktail party chic with a few new accessories. You can hustle from 9 to 5 before exploring with ease from 5 to 9. Because you're the chief excursion officer. The Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card. If you travel, you know. Learn more at go.amex slash you know business. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Take me to the king. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Kelly Richardson Lawson. I'm a mother, a wife, and an entrepreneur. I started the Sunrise Project after our beautiful teenage son attempted to take his own life. Truth is, I'm tired. My husband and I felt despair, isolation, and immeasurable pain. I knew in my heart we needed a place for Black parents to share their struggles, find mutual support, and help our beloved children who struggle with mental wellness, addiction, or both. Each weekly podcast features an expert who shares their knowledge and takes questions from parents and children. Take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. The Sunrise Project allows Black families like ours, to find comfort in knowing that we are not alone. While the purpose of the Sunrise Project is to share, support, and uplift, this conversation is not a substitute for medical advice. Finding the right healthcare professional for your family's specific needs is crucial. If you do not feel seen or heard, you should speak to more than one professional to find the right fit. Welcome to our weekly Sunrise Project call. I am happy you're here, and I hope that you find a moment this morning of solace and peace as we share and learn from one another in a safe space that's filled with love, compassion, and a mutual desire to heal our children, our families, and ourselves. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I am delighted this morning to have a special guest with us who will be sharing her journey and giving us some wonderful advice as we work to raise our beautiful children. Depelsha Thomas Magruder and I have known each other for a very long time. We actually met when we were both at BET or Viacom many, many, many years ago. Um, and she is currently, we also um, share in common, um, going to Howard University back in the day. Um, she is currently the COO and treasurer of the Ford Foundation, where she oversees the operations of a $13 billion foundation. Um, prior to that, she was the COO of New York Public Radio. Um, and most important for us, She's the mother of two beautiful black boys, and she is founder and president of Mob United, which stands for Mothers of Black Boys United. Um, and so I am just delighted to have her here with us this morning. She's gonna share um, her journey, and um, I'd love to turn it over to you, Depelsha, just to have you talk about why and how um, you started Mob United, what it's all about, um, what was the impetus for it? What do you do? What does the organization do? Um, and so I'm going to turn it over to you and thank you so much for being here. Well, good morning, everyone. It's um, great to be here. Thank you, you so much for, um, for having me. And I think I'll just start, as you said, by telling everyone a little bit about how Moms of Black Boys United came to be. And um, for anyone who's already heard the story, my apologies, but it's, it's always a helpful entry point for me because I always say that I accidentally started an organization. So it is not something that I intentionally set out to do. Um, but I would say the summer of 2016, I had the moment that a lot of people are experiencing in the wake of George Floyd. I felt like I had that reaction then. And if you think back to the summer of 2016, there were uh, two back-to-back -back killings of 
black men by police officers. Alton Sterling in Baton Rouge followed the next day by Philando Castile in Minnesota. And both were on the news, you know, running repeatedly. Both had very graphic images. Alton Sterling was on the ground, um, you know, with his stomach bloody from the officer shooting him at close range. And then um, I went to bed that night with that image in my head because I was watching CNN and coming home from a trip and that was just playing in my mind. And then when I woke up the next morning, I saw a family on the news in Minnesota and I couldn't reconcile what was going on. I was like, what did they have to do with Alton Sterling? I thought they were his relatives in Minnesota because they were clearly reacting to a tragedy. And when I figured out that they were actually talking about another case of um, an innocent black man being killed by police within less than 24 hours, Lando Castile in Minnesota, and that it had been practically broadcast live on Facebook by his girlfriend who was in the backseat with her four-year-old daughter. It just crushed my spirit. I couldn't, um, I couldn't move, literally felt paralyzed, could not get out of bed. And just the assault of this trauma and these images um, really affected me. I felt sad. I felt angry. I felt confused. I felt hopeless. And I just felt like I needed to do something in reaction to those emotions. So eventually I got enough energy to get out of bed, um, mainly because I had to feed my children. So I went downstairs to make breakfast and I was scrambling eggs and cooking uh, turkey sausage and um, just decided to go to my computer and start a Facebook group, which was an idea I'd have for quite some time, all the way back to Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and Eric Garner and all the cases that came before it. Um, but at the time, my sons were seven and four, and I decided to go to my computer and start a group. Um, initially, it was Mothers of Black Boys. I ended up changing it to Moms of Black Boys United for trademark reasons. Um, and I only sent it to about 30 friends, 30 moms of black boys and men who I thought of off the top of my head. Um, and it just grew virally. And when I say it was unintentional, I didn't even know how Facebook groups work. Like I hadn't started a Facebook group. I didn't know that other people could join the group without my permission. I didn't know people could add people without my, without my permission. So it just started taking off virally. Like I stepped away to check on the breakfast and came back. 30 had become 500. And then it went to 1,000. And then it went to 2,000. Then I left home to go to the grocery store. And I checked from the grocery store. It was 4,000. I came back home. It was 7,000. By dinner time, it was 15,000. And within the first 12 hours of the group, it grew to more than 21,000 moms across the country that very same day. And we were all feeling the same thing. We we're all feeling, you know, a range of emotions and just wanting to have a safe space to vent and talk about it. So that was the intention. And, you know, at the time, it just really helped me get through that day. But I had to decide pretty quickly whether to do more with it because people started posting in the group as if it already existed. So I immediately started getting outreach about, you know, I want to make your t-shirts. I want to plan your conference. Can I start a chapter in my area? And all it was was a Facebook group, but I had the foresight in that moment to, you know, lock down the domain names and the website and all that kind of stuff to apply for the trademark. And then a friend of mine encouraged me to write an op-ed in the root. So um, I was able to connect with somebody and write her op-ed on the root.com. I ended up being on the local news that week talking about this experience and what had happened. And then in the group, someone posted, you know, we need to plan a march. We need to do something and set up a conference call for two days later, which was a Saturday morning at 7.30 a.m. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So I got on the call, and out of that first call, I just listened to the women on the call from all over the country and formed a steering committee. Made up, the, made up of the people who I did not know, who sounded like they had the best perspective. And we spent that entire summer together um, strategizing by the following Saturday. We had calls every Saturday 
By the following Saturday, I developed a mission statement and a five-point approach that we still use today, which I'll talk about in a little while. Um, but just to accelerate it, we ended up forming two nonprofit organizations, a 501c3, which is Moms of Black Blues United, and a 501c4, which is Mob United for Social Change. And the way I describe the difference between the two organizations is that um, the 501c3 really focuses on the what we can do side of the equation. So what information do we need as parents, um, and in our case as moms in particular, to help our sons navigate all of the situations they may find themselves in and dealing with systems. And we, you know, started out focused on police brutality. That was the genesis, but we quickly realized that we needed to expand to other systems. So first, we saw the connection between the education system and how so many of our young people are funneled through the school to prison pipeline. So we started to say, okay, we don't just need to focus on criminal justice reform. We need to look at the education system and what needs to happen there because in um, schools, our children are being targeted early. They're being labeled very early, all the way back to preschool. Our children are being punished for behaviors, you know, normal childhood behaviors that other children are not punished for. And we saw that, you know, there are school resource officers who are just waiting to, you know, get our child on, you know, any infraction and then funnel them through the juvenile system, which gives them a record that then goes with them to be um, labeled a criminal as an adult. So those were two things that were clearly connected. But the other component to this that we quickly realized that we also needed to add was mental health. Because if you look at so many of the cases involving um, law enforcement, so many of them have a mental health component, and that became readily apparent um, just in the year that we started, which was 2016, we ended up speaking out on several cases involving um, mental health almost right away. And that's another component of what we do. So on the 501c4 side, we're focused on advocacy and really looking at legislative change, policy change, but also using that to be a voice to speak out on um, new cases. Because sadly, since we started, we've, um, I'm sure we haven't even spoken out on all of them. We've spoken on out at least 75 new cases that have happened since that summer. And in the summer of 2016, there was a case in San Diego, Alfred Alongo, who was a mentally Ill, Ill man who was shot while holding a vaping device by police. There was Keith Lamont Scott um, in Charlotte who was sitting in his car in 2016 and um, had a traumatic brain injury that wasn't recognized, didn't respond fast enough and ended up being killed by police. So we started to see this over and over again, the next year there was Charlena Lyles, a woman in Seattle who um, was pregnant and called police actually for help um, to report a burglary. The burglary didn't happen, but this is what was happening in her mind um, and confronted them at the door with two knives. I believe I remember reading she was about 90 pounds and pregnant and they ended up killing her. Um, and then here in Brooklyn, where I live, there was Sahid Vassell, who um, is a man who was well-known in the community. The police knew him. He walked around. Everyone knew he had, um, I believe he had bipolar disorder and um, was holding a, a metal pipe because he used to be a welder, so he often held a pipe. And someone called and reported, you know, this the neighborhood is changing and gentrifying. Someone called to report that this man was walking around with a, with a gun because it was silver pipe and pointing it at people, and the police came within seconds, shot him. So we started to see this pattern um, of repeatedly of people with either diagnosed mental illness or just experiencing a mental health breakdown or crisis uh, being targeted by police and unfairly and unjustly killed. And I should share, um, I should actually back up to share that I have two sons. So at the time they were seven and four, and now they are 11 and eight. Actually, my oldest son will be 12 next week and he has autism. So a big motivation for me in starting this organization was that if you listen to what um, what law enforcement says, you know, the, the narrative is always, well, just comply and you won't have any problems. Just comply, do exactly what the officer says. And first of all, we know that's not true because that would not have helped. Um, it did not help Philando Castile, who did comply and was a legal gun owner and went to reach for his ID and registration and all that, and the officer said he feared for his life and shot him. It would not have helped 12-year-old Tamir Rice, who was playing on the playground with a toy gun, and within two seconds, without any conversation, police shot him. So there, there was no opportunity to comply. Um, so we know that's not true in general, but it's especially not true 
if you have a child with a disability. So my son has autism, um, and autism means different things for different people, but the markers are challenges in social communication, um, socialization, communication, and restricted behaviors. So if someone walks up to him and gives a command, he may not understand it. He may not process it in time. He may miss, you know, miss the social cue and think it's a joke. And the odds of him just complying with some stranger walking up to him and telling him to do some, something are very slim. So when you consider that, I felt for me, it was urgent to take action because my son's disability should not be a death sentence. And I have to tell you that, um, well, first, before I go to that, I want to share a couple of stats. So we've also since learned that 25 to 50% of people killed by police have a disability or, or experiencing some kind of mental health crisis at the time, diagnosed yeah. or just in the moment. And um, yeah, and, and people with disabilities and mental health issues are 16 times more likely to be killed by law enforcement. When you overlay that with the fact that um, black males in particular are three times more likely than everyone else to be killed by law enforcement and you you know, do the, people talk about intersectionality, you do the intersection of black male and, and mental health, it is the highest risk group for um, police deadly encounters. And then when you look at just mental health overall, outside of race, it's the highest risk group for people with mental health um, and other disabilities to be killed by law enforcement. So it's a very high risk proposition. Um, and since then, we did a partnership with an organization called Noble. I don't know if you all know Noble, but they're the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. And we found them, I actually found them, uh, we go to the CBC conference, Con Congressional Black Caucus, every year, not this year, but usually we do. And I saw the president of Noble speak and introduce myself and formed a partnership with them to host interactive workshops um, across the country on how to interact safely with law enforcement. And I thought that would be a good department because they are both black and blue. So they're all black executives in law enforcement, but they, you know, are law enforcement officers. So we thought that would be a good, good place to start. And what I've learned through all of the seminars um, we've done with Noble is that police officers are not equipped to deal with mental health. They don't get training around it. If they do, it's very limited. And they're not really... Um, it's actually been very disappointing because, you know, even Noble, their general spiel was, well, just comply. Here's how you do it. They have like role playing where they have the young people pretend they're walking on the street, pretend they're in the car, an officer approaches you, what do you do? And what was important for me and our partnership is that we have an opportunity to tell them, you know, what our experiences are and what our children's experiences are have been with law enforcement. And we were the first organization to partner with them to host um, a seminar at Gallaudet University, which is an all deaf and hard of hearing university. And these kind of things like autism and mental health and deaf were not things they had really thought about. DC actually did have a deaf and hard of hearing police unit, but it's two people. So if you don't get one of those two people, they don't know. But if an officer comes up and says comply and you have one of these issues going on, they're basically like, I mean, when I asked an officer, like, what do you do in that case? They're like, well, we don't have time to figure all that out. That was kind of the response. So they're just going to shoot and they don't have a, they don't have a toolbox of how to manage all these various situations. They are trained. They used to be trained to shoot, to disarm or wound. Now they're taught to shoot, to kill. So it's not an accident that we see officers shooting so many bullets in people. You're always like, well, why did it have to be 41 bullets or 76 bullets? That's what they're trained to do. They're not trained to just make you fall and break your legs. So um, that's been very disappointing. And the hope is that, by continuing to have these kind of um, conversations with law enforcement that we can bridge that gap and help them to see things in a different way and help them see what their gaps are. And now I'm encouraged to see, um, and then I'm going to stop soon, but I'm encouraged to see, oh, actually I have to share a few more things. I'm encouraged to see, talk about the defund the police movement. Um, I don't love the branding of it because I think it makes people think that it's something that it's not. So defund the police is not really about defunding the police. It's about reallocating resources more uh, equitably to where they need to go. So currently the police are overfunded. They have lots of funding, they have military weapons, like they're going to war and things like mental health and education and workforce development and addiction services and homelessness, all of that is underfunded. So it's really about reallocating resources from policing and funding some of these other things that are sorely underfunded and sorely needed, which are likely to decrease crime if you do that. So I'm just right. learning about that, but um, it's something that seems to be helpful. 
Um, and I know, Kelly, I'm going to stop talking soon, but I just want to share a little bit about um, Mob United and what we do in the area of mental health. I just to say one other thing, as, it, as you were talking, it just brought back, and, and the wording of defunding the police, how that is so polarizing, un unfortunately. Um, and so I yeah. do hear you on that. And I think that the language we've been using with one of our clients is reimagining public safety. So at least, mm. it, but to that point, it's like, how do you make sure that social services for mental health are funded properly, you know, because they've been completely um, eliminated in most cases over the past 20 years, yeah. to your point. And so, um, you know, pushing to have legislation that gets people, gets the right type of social service funding is so critical so that to your exact point, being able to de-escalate situations by people who are trained professionals in the space, mm -hmm. so, so critically important. And and uh, so everything you're saying is, is just so dead on and makes so much sense to me. Um, and it's yeah. so and then so I love that you're working on all of that. For sure. And then when you consider, like, even if the resources are there, we don't always get access to them. So Black people are less, more likely to have some of these um, issues, but less likely to receive the diagnosis around them. Like, it takes a long time, a longer time for us to get the right diagnosis and to be connected to the services that we need and the services are already limited for everyone. So it just compounds the issue even more. Um, right, so yeah. there are a few things we're doing, like we're pushing, we're pushing on the legislative side for some of these things. So when we, when we advocate, and if you go to our site, mobbynight.org, you're gonna see our legislative platform, but we're pushing for things like de-escalation training, um, implicit bias training, and also crisis intervention training, which is specifically designed to help police uh, deal with people with mental health issues it was used successfully in Memphis, and it trains officers on how to recognize mental illness and deal with it without arresting and diverting people to services. So that's something that we've been pushing for, as well as um, the Justice and Policing Act that was introduced by the Democrats. Not going to make it through the Senate, but it is the most comprehensive legislation that we've seen um, on this issue. We've been studying these issues for four years now, and it pretty much includes all of the things I mentioned, plus things like banning chokeholds and no-knock warrants, um, decreasing the military weapons to go to local police forces, having a use of force continuum standard that is not, um, that goes from reasonable force to necessary force. Now officers only have to say they fear for their lives and, and it can be considered reasonable, but the question will become, was it necessary? Which I think is critical. It also requires other officers who are standing by in there to intervene in uh, bad behavior, which would have been very helpful in the George Floyd cases. They all just watched this happen. Um, it also requires reporting of use of force cases um, on a state-by-state -state basis to the federal government. It creates a national database of police misconduct. It creates um, a path to independent investigations handled by the state attorney general instead of local jurisdictions. So there are a lot of things in that bill that are all the things we have been advocating for individually, usually on a state-by-state -state basis, but it's all in that federal bill, so I encourage you to check that out. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So that's one way we're advocating. The other side of it, though, is just, um, oh, one thing I should have said is, so the Mob United um, mission is really about influencing policies and perceptions that impact how black boys and men are treated and perceived by law enforcement in society. And the in society part, you know, stands to education, stands to what happens in retail and parks and everything else. And each year in April, we host um, seminars around autism awareness. And in May, we host Mental Health Awareness Month. And if you go to our website, we have resources on both of those areas, both resources to connect people to, as well as just information on various mental health disorders and um, we'll have guest speakers. Like this year we tried to focus on the pandemic. So we talked about being young, the impact of being young and social distancing and being isolated. We talked about living with um, 
in an abuse situation, domestic violence. We talked about the connection between faith and mental health. A pastor came on who had experienced his own mental health challenges and talked about how difficult it was for him to talk to his congregation about that. And our grand finale was um, Kelly Richardson Lawson talking about the Sunrise Project. So that was how we culminated the month. And all of those webinars are on our public page at Moms of Black Boys United. You can go to our site to see other resources. The other thing that we're building state by state is a database of resources to uh, connect people to. So people come to us with all kinds of situations. And at this point, we've helped hundreds of moms whose uh, children were going through various situations, whether it's discrimination in schools, um, some court issue, and we help them prepare. So if they're preparing for an IEP meeting, a difficult parent-teacher conference or, or with a school administrator, a court appearance, in some cases media appearances, we have moms in our organization who come from all kinds of professions and can step in and, and provide counsel. So we've been doing that on a one-on-one -on -one basis, but we're trying to build a database so that we can do it on a more formal basis to, in every state, have you be able to reach out to us and say, you know, I need, I'm looking for this kind of program for my son, or I need an attorney. And we're, we're vetting people uh, based on referrals to make sure they're culturally competent and sensitive to our issues. Um, so that's an ongoing project that will be a long-term investment for us. So with that, I think I will stop there and open it up for questions and comments. And I would also just love to hear from the people on the call about your experiences on any of this and just your thoughts. So thank you so much, Kelly, for having me. Absolutely. That's super helpful. I know um, one thing I just want to mention to, for everybody is that Mob United is because you're a nonprofit, you take, uh, you know, people can become members and support the organization by becoming a member. So I know that's important. And I would just encourage everybody to do that to support your work, because it's mm -hmm. fantastic and I really appreciate what you're doing. I would love to have anyone who might want to ask a question or, or uh, share anything around your children, feel free. Um, I would like to know more, Depelsha, about your work with police departments and what your perspective is on, particularly for parents who may have Black boys or Black children, how do you or do you ever work with um, the local police departments? I know you mentioned Noble, um, but what are your suggestions yeah. in local areas? Like, is it important to... Um, meet the police officers and say, these are my children, or, you know, have you had those types of experiences? What do you recommend? Yeah, we've had a range of experiences in different cities. You know, the setup is different in every city. So the first thing I'll say is we encourage people to get to know um, the public officials across the board in their area. So we encourage moms off the bat to get to know, you know, your local police precinct captain or however it's set up in your area. And if there's a community police officer, get to know that person, get to know your city council person, make sure they know who you are, your state representatives, your congressman. So over the course of this, like I was a pretty aware person, I would say before Mob United, but we're all learning and growing together. And I've become much more aware and engaged about my own city and how it works in state um, through Mob United, because we train moms on how to be effective advocates and how to connect and, and, and to have the confidence and the talking points on what to say when we meet this pe these people. That's why we give them a platform. Here are the issues we care about. Here are the things we want you to ask so that you're not just on your own. And then you can add to that your personal experiences. So through that, I'll just share my own experience. I've sought out, um, like the NYPD periodically has community meetings. So I've gone to community meetings, which are hosted by the local like police precinct captain and community policing officer. Um, I've set up meetings with my city council person, my state representative, I've gone to things hosted by my congressman. So we encourage people to engage at all levels, local, state, and federal. Um, for policing in general, I would say it's mixed. Like, um, so New York has a community policing program, which means officers are supposed to live and be embedded in the area so that they know the people in the neighborhood, so they know when something is strange and when something is not. Um, you know, I think of Sahid Vassell, the man I mentioned, who's, you know, just a neighborhood over in Crown Heights who was walking around with this metal pipe and some newcomer to the neighborhood reported him and he got shot. But he had been walking that neighborhood holding pipes and all kind of unusual things for years and nobody reported him because they knew he was just 
a guy walking up down the street who had some mental health challenges. He had seen his friend get murdered 15 years ago and kind of lost it after that. And everyone knew who he was. He swept up in a local barbershop. There's a man in my neighborhood who walks down the street same way and he carries things. Sometimes he's holding sticks and yelling at people. He's not going to harm anybody. I've been watching this man do this now for, um, how long have I been here? 16 years, right? But I could easily see every day I fear for him because I could easily see a newcomer coming along and saying, there's this menacing man and he yelled at me and, and he may not be here. So it's important for the police to know that, to know who the characters are in the neighborhood and who's harmful and who's not. As for introducing your children, you know, I'm not sure on that yet. I have a, I have mixed feelings. My son's are still pretty young. Like I said, my oldest son is turning 12 next week and the older he becomes, the more fearful I become because he does have autism. And I know I, we do have moms in our group who have gone to, who have taken their sons. I've heard a few things. They've taken their sons to the police precinct and said, this is my son. Don't bother him. He's a good kid. And they introduce them. They give them a picture so they know who they are. I've also heard of moms who have, um, taking their sons to volunteer at the local police department. So they get to know them. They have youth programs, basketball programs, right along with the police program. Some moms in our group have chosen to do that. Um, and so that's, that's the positive and so far it's worked, but I've also heard of cases where it backfired. So in Staten Island in New York, which is very conservative, the police have embedded themselves as community police, but then they've come back to those kids they've developed relationships with and try to get them to rat out on her, their friends. They come back and say, well, tell us who's in a gang and who did this crime. And they, they're kind of abusing the relationship in ways that make parents and young people feel uncomfortable. I also know in New York, like they interact with kids and then they put their names in a gang database. Like if, if they see them affiliated with anyone suspicious, their names go into a gang database. So honestly, I don't have um, a firm answer because I have mixed feelings and I haven't yet figured out how I'm going to navigate that for myself. That makes sense. Absolutely. My eight-year-old, who is very vocal about everything under the sun, um, told me, he said, you know, Mom, you spend all this time on Mob United, and it's supposed to be for the boys, but you don't have anything for the boys. <laughs> so we're working on that because so far we focus primarily on uh, equipping moms to advocate for and along with their sons, but we're now like, how do we get the sons more involved? And there are times when we do, mostly if it's a it's a seminar or a webinar, we ask moms to bring their sons with them. Like, so we did a know your rights seminar, right? And on how you, what you need to know and how you respond. And when you need to say, don't say another word to me until you call my parents, you know, to train them on things like that. We also have an annual MLK Day of Service um, event where we encourage moms and sons to volunteer together and our chapters organize that. Uh, but now this year, we're shifting to, like, how we can get them more involved. And I would say there are a couple of ways. One, we just launched an initiative called Sun Stories, where we're asking young men of any age to submit their stories, whether it's a poem, a rap, a song, just a speech, sharing their perspective on what it's like being black and male growing up in America. And we also now have interns. So there are opportunities, um, you know, to volunteer to be interns. And we, we've had our first um, young man to intern and we have opportunities across all areas from social media to policy and advocacy research to education, um, et cetera. So those are the ways right now, but we are thinking more about how we can get them more involved as opposed to just coming along with the moms, which is how it happens now. If we have gatherings, we have workshops, we have seminars. It's always a family affair, you know, for moms and sons. And we encourage them to bring the whole family. You know, it's not exclusive, but we are trying to focus primarily on that mother-son bond. I remember one of our frequent experts, Sharon Green, was on with her son, Ezekiwe, and I will never forget him saying something so profound, which was, he said, mental health gets talked about all the time, but I don't get to talk about it, being the person. Uh -huh. And so that question uh -huh. brought back that, um, that perspective because we're all here as parents, moms, dads, you know, loved ones trying to figure it out. And, uh, but oftentimes the person that is going through it is not a part of the conversation. So I think that's right. a really, that was a really good question. I also love the notion of having um, the children get involved and be a part of this journey. And I was thinking about even from a legislative advocacy perspective, teaching our kids how how to do that and how to do it on a state-by-state 
basis because most of us as parents mm-hmm. don't even know. I've learned a lot, a lot over the last couple of years with all the Crown Act work, but it's um, I've it's been an education. So anyway, right. that was a great question, and uh, so thank you for that. Does anyone else have a question or a thought? Yes, I have a resource. Um, when my son, my son is over, he's 22 now, but he was over 18 at the time, was experiencing psychosis. His um, psychiatrist said to me that I that NAMI, the National Association of Mental Illness, has mobile crisis teams that you can call if there is an emergency. And I, she said, put it in your phone. She told me to be comfortable with it because it may be, you know, that my he may I may be in danger of being in the house with him, you know, for no reason. Um, and I just looked it up in my phone. It's a team that responds to psychiatric emergencies, and it's it's accompanied by a police officer. The police are trained um, to come if your if your child has to um, be hospitalized. She did, however, say make sure you tell them you're an African American family. Tell them that there are no guns in the household beforehand because you don't want the situation to escalate. But that is just a resource that they have in communities. The number that I have is a local number, a DC number. But I think if you go mm-hmm. on their website, you can find it. I've never had to call it, so I don't have any experience with that. But they at least know where beds are available and they can help to de escalate a situation. Um, but I would be curious if people have called the, the line and if there has been a positive result. That's, That's a wonderful. good question. Has anyone um, had that experience? Kelly, this is Linda McGee. Um, um, I've, I've done an internship and worked in mental health facilities where, um, and I've worked on cases where there's a child with mental illness, African-American boy in a neighborhood. And I have had decent experience introducing or talking about the situation before with the local if there's a, a beat officer, if there's a unit that patrols the neighborhood to make, to I have the parents make contact or I as a psychologist make contact with the local or the beat person. In an emergency, um, as, the, as the previous caller just said, I, I, when I do have to call the police for some reason or the police have been called, I do help the families or have the families identify themselves as African-American and and tell them that the child is 16. I tell them a little bit about the condition of the Mm -hmm. child. Um, And um, also, as the previous caller says, um, removing weapons from the home. Um, In fact, many mental health care professionals and internships that I worked on would not even go help if there were guns in the home or if there were weapons mm. in the home. So there is, that is one other thing that you, sh- you all should be aware of that we wouldn't even allow to be on the scene. If so, only the police would handle it in Northern Virginia. If, if there were guns in the house, if there were no guns in the house, the mental health professionals were allowed to go out. That's good to know. And have any of you had experiences with, with calling law enforcement, um, with your children and how, how has your experience been? Because that is one of my greatest fears as my son gets older. Um, he sometimes has meltdowns where he goes into screaming and crying and it's uncontrollable and there's nothing we can do but wait it out. And there have been a few times, not recently, thankfully, he's actually been very much at peace. Ironically, I expected the coronavirus pandemic to affect my son with autism more because it disrupts routine, but he's been the happiest person in the house throughout all of this. And I think it's because we're just at home and he feels safe and there's not a lot of change. So he's been fine. But, you know, sometimes he um, will have meltdowns and screaming and falling out on, like one time he's falling out on the street and we had to go to the street corner to get him. And I was just counting down before someone called the police and this went awry. And it's just my greatest fear. So I'm just curious if anyone has had that experience and how it has gone. Yeah. For us, we called the police a few times, um, looking for Kyle because he would run, you know, run away or run out. Mm-hmm. We didn't know where he was for, you know, a day, two days, three days. And so thankfully, of course, they've always found him. They've brought him back and they've been really great to work with, which is a blessing. 
Um, yeah. It doesn't always, you know, end up that way, of course, clearly. The difference, of course, with him and with your son is that, you know, he, like you said, is able to respond in the appropriate way. Or when I say appropriate, I say that in a loving way, you know, meaning like mm-hmm. he can put his hands down and be still when needed or those kinds of things. And so we've been fortunate that nothing has gone awry. However, I completely agree. It's like the daily fear every time he runs out the house because we don't know where he is, what he's doing, who he's with. It is a constant struggle. I think of all parents, of uh, especially in today's times that we live in, it's um, tremendously difficult, challenging, and uh, we're all afraid, a constant state of fear and working really mm-hmm. hard to have faith versus fear, which is, yeah. You know, easier said than not but really having that faith that it's all going to be okay is what i know for me is my constant my constant Mm -hmm. struggle oh yeah so on that note we also have prayer (laughs) you know we have regular prayer united in prayer you can check that out on our site too we have to put the faith faith along with the work for sure absolutely i'm sorry go ahead yes okay yeah i just wanted to piggyback the other side of of the same conversation you said you had in reference to the police is that the flip side of that is yes we haven't had any um any uh, violent incidents with the police but the flip side of that is every time we've had an encounter with them it's very clear that they have um, limited or no training on how to deal with someone with any type of uh, mental illness because as we start to try to talk to what to do half the time they're looking at us with their hands up like like what do you want us to do you know, and so forth. So in some of these instances, mm-hmm. to your point, um, it would way, it would be way more beneficial to have a mental health expert come out versus a police officer because the other part of that is, um, you know, uh, to Kelly's other point about fear is a lot of, I'm sure mothers on this call will have had the same instance where they're just in fear when their child leaves leaves the house because they don't know if they're coming back. So half of half of what you're going through and half of your trauma and dealing with a child, a teenager period, but definitely a teenager with any type of mental challenge is like what's gonna happen to my child when he leaves the house. I don't know. You know, he's a six foot athletic black man in a hoodie in the middle of the night, you know, is he gonna come back with a police pull motor and, you know, he looked just like Trayvon Martin with his hood up. So, you know, those types of images are in your mind and unnecessarily and unfortunate that it is that way, but it just happens to be what it is. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that. Anyone else like to share or ask a question? Hi, this is Sharon. Um, hi, Kapelsha. It's so wonderful hi, to, to have you on here. We have so many various connections, and I just want to yeah. encourage everybody to definitely be a part of um, MOB. Uh, when it first started, I did uh, initiate the Georgia uh, group, and um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. I just wanted to share from another perspective, Ezekiel is my son, and I'm the person who's talked a few times about the various ways to support our children who have mental health um, disorders and or learning challenges. And one of the things that I think has been successful for for us is um, advocacy. And what do I mean by that is that um, my son uh, had his first psychosis, and I spoke about this on the um, call that I did a while back. And I was able to really talk to um, the healthcare practitioners um, and everyone involved in what was going on with him as as he was dealing with the psychosis. Uh, He was also very aware of what was going on with himself. So he was also able to talk um, and share with it. But what we have to really make sure that we do is operate without the fear, um, but with uh, being educated about the importance of how people should treat others. Um, And one of the things that I learned with our psychiatrist on board was the importance of maybe not calling the police first, but calling um, uh, organizations like NAMI and others that um, in Atlanta, we have uh, the Georgia uh, Health uh, 
consortium. And what happens there is that they, when you call them, they come with a police officer as well and, and who is trained to uh, de-escalate the situation and also to have safety plans in place. It is critical, especially for those of us who are on the call, um, not to be naive that um, it won't happen to you um, or that it won't escalate to a very dangerous situation. And so what do I mean by that? Have a plan in place. So if you are going to call who is going to call, how you're going to stay safe, how are you going to get rid of everything? And my psychiatrist made us write that out. What is the backup plan? And we shared it with, um, if you have a student who's 16 or older, you can definitely share it with them, let them know, because this is to keep them safe. Um, if you have a parent, um, it's the same thing. Uh, those that are younger, it's uh, challenging, but if you have siblings, they can all partake. It is a very stressful time when you're going through that, but if you um, have someone who can help you redirect, uh, that's one uh, very critical thing. And the other thing that I would ask of uh, the Sunrise Project and also MOB is that we start really educating and letting parents know you, the first call doesn't have to be the police. It can be mm -hmm. these kinds of organizations because that helps de-escalate the, the violence that can, can take place. I just wanted to share that. Yes, definitely. I want to make sure we have, I, I wrote down NAMI, but if there are any other resources, I want to make sure we have them on our site as resources as well. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. each state is local, uh, has their okay. own process. Um, so what would probably be to our advantage is that uh, we just tap into those who already know, um, mm -hmm. and then they could, they could also do that. And also as it relates to students who are autistic, um, there are uh, definitely teachers and, and organizations and healthcare practitioners who are always advocating on their behalf, but we also need to, as much as we think people are educated about autism, they're not. And what does that mm -hmm. look like? And whether you're high functioning or, um, or not, uh, you know, especially when it comes to the social communications issues around that, um, we really need to advocate because sometimes children who are autistic also will show up and have uh, mental health challenges. And um, it's important that we um, start marketing and informing that this too can happen. And if it happens, these are the points that you can look at to help you. This is Linda again. I just want to piggyback really quickly on what Sharon said about having a plan, um, it's really vitally important to understand the signs and the patterns that you and your children might undergo to lead you to the point of escalation and to try to intervene as quickly as you can in that process. So if that means if step one might be, there might be a cousin who might help de-escalate. Or there might be the therapist and the psychiatrist. So there should be a step-by-step -step process that you have written down. But then I often encourage people not to call the police if your child is still in a state where you maybe could take them to the, a mental health emergency room. Um, so there are steps that you can undergo before you call the police. But when there's a safety issue and when you're in danger, you might have to call the police. And so when you do that, um, it is important to definitely try to see if you can identify local officers, people that you might already have a relationship with. Um, even if they're not on duty, you might want to leave them a message. Kelly and I had a conversation about that um, a few weeks ago. Uh, but just to make sure that you follow the steps. And one other thing I wanted to say is that there is a group now called Autism and Black. I don't know if Mob has um, interacted with them. There's a woman, a mental mm -hmm. health person who runs a group. And um, I think that would be a great uh, point of contact and partnership. Um, and so what she has done with her podcast and her movement is to um, make sure that there is a lot of awareness out there about Blacks and autism and how to address it in all aspects of life, not just with the police. 
Well, this has been tremendously helpful. I am going to go ahead and close it out this morning uh, with a prayer. And I want to say thank you so much um, to Pelsha for being here. I really appreciate you spending your time this morning and sharing your um, knowledge and wisdom and all the amazing things you're doing with Mob United. Um, so really appreciate it. Just wanted to say that before I close this out. So thank you again. So as we close, dear father, thank you for allowing Depelsha Thomas Magruder to share with us the powerful work she's doing with Mob United as well as her personal story of raising her two beautiful young men. Help us father have faith over fear, especially in the current state of unrest the world is seeing today. Help us learn to help our children, particularly as rates of depression and anxiety are spiking in our community. We know you're with us. We know you are working out our challenges and we may not even realize it. God is with us, leading us, guiding us, loving us, providing for us, all with his unlimited resources. Thank you, Thank everybody. You. Have a great week, everyone. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone. I'm Kelly Richardson Lawson, and you've been listening to the Sunrise Project podcast. You can follow Sunrise wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, open your podcast app and follow this show. Join us next week for another gathering of support. Thank you for listening. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental wellness challenges, contact your doctor, NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or both. You can reach NAMI's helpline at 800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or email at info at NAMI.org. Volunteers are working to answer questions, offer support, and provide practical next steps. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.